uh, when did I first realize? I think I, I think there's a difference between realization and, and acceptance because, you know, for for a long, I think I, I can't really remember ever not feeling different, you know, in some way as a kid, but but um, for a long time, it was like, not necessarily a good thing, you know, for a long time, it was like, mm-hmm. I feel different, because I'm, I'm struggling with some things in school, I had kind of an ADD experience of like being good at some things and being not very good at other things. And Welcome to the Embrace Your Inner Weirdo podcast, where paradigms shift. Impossible becomes I'm possible. And weirdos are exposed for who they really are pure geniuses with your host who walked from chicago to la just because he could the one and only mr weirdo aka rashid huda hey uh, chris how are you i'm wonderful thanks for having me man i'm excited about your new program yeah welcome 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 to embrace you in a weirdo uh-huh. uh, and uh, I, I say that it's a podcast with an attitude because weirdo, mm-hmm. weirdo is not a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's got like what six letters in it. Yeah, which is weird. But, but for some reason, uh, people have this negative connotation about mm-hmm. uh, weirdo. Even though Dictionary.com has recently changed, uh, made some changes on the definition, and their first definition where weirdo is someone who is an odd, eccentric, or unconventional person. Mm, okay. So that's the first definition. And the second definition mm-hmm. is is the one about somebody who is a psycho. Uh, yeah, I see. I think I like the first definition uh, a little bit better. Yeah, the language evolves. I first met you online back in 2009. Mm-hmm. If I remember it correctly. I was kind of getting into uh, blogging and things like that. I wanted to be a nomad, and I came across your blog, the Art of Nonconformity, mm-hmm. and I thought that was an interesting one. So uh, I started reading about what you do and what you were doing at that time. Uh, your big goal of visiting every country in the world. Uh, you've come a long way since then, Bon. So, when did you first realize that you were weird or different? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you again for having me on. Uh, I think you are an OG, you know, in this whole world. I mean, you were, you know, living in a van before living in a van was cool, right? <laughs> I think we we yeah. first met in, in Houston, like we met online, but then I, I met you in Houston. Uh, um, Yep. And then you've done, you've, you've come a long way as well, you know, since then. So thank you for being a role model, uh, you know, to so many people. And, you know, on that topic of, you know, weirdo, like when I hear the, the word eccentric, which you used in that first definition, to me, that's, um, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting word because it can mean a lot of different things, you know, and eccentric mm-hmm. is like, it can have this negative connotation uh, or eccentric, I guess when I think eccentric, I think unusual and interesting and different, you know, unique, um, you know, and why would you want to be anything other than those, those things? So, um, so I love the branding, Embrace Your Inner Weirdo. And as for myself, uh, when did I first realize, I think I, I think there's a difference between realization and, and acceptance because, you know, for, for a long, I think I, I can't really remember ever not feeling different, you know, in some way as a kid, but 
but um, for a long time, it was like, not necessarily a good thing, you know, for a long time, it was like, mm -hmm. I feel different, because I'm, I'm struggling with some things in school, I had kind of an ADD experience of like being good at some things and being not very good at other things. And um, not really understanding why. And then I had like an unusual family situation as well um, with different sets of parents, which I guess is not that unusual, but um, we were living in Asia for much of that time in the Philippines and my other family was in the States. So I, I, I remember daydreaming a lot. I remember like being really like lost in my inner world. I remember um, being sensitive, like emotionally sensitive to different things, um, thinking a lot about death, you know? So like all these kinds of things that uh, for a long time, I guess I thought something was wrong with me or some, some people told me something was wrong with me. And so it was only like, I would say like my late teen years that I really like embraced the, I was like, actually like I, if something's wrong with everybody else, you know, um, in the sense <laughs> yes. that I want to do something different. I want to find my own way. I want to use whatever skills and strengths I have and not worry so much about the other things. Um, and then I just kind of embraced that more and more, you know, throughout like my late teenage years and early adulthood and was fortunate to have lots of experiences that reinforced uh, that belief. So I always knew I was weird, but I didn't accept it for a while because I thought there was something wrong with it. That's that's understandable. So how did you come up with your big idea of visiting every country in the world? Well, that came to be after I had done a good amount of travel. Um, and I was actually living in West Africa at the time. I was an aid worker for several years, uh, living in this hospital ship uh, that was deployed to Sierra Leone in Liberia. And um, I, just, I had a really remarkable experience there and went to a lot of countries as part of that process and also a bit in Europe and in some, some other countries in Asia as well. And so I'd been to like 20, 30 countries or something. I don't remember the precise number. And I just thought it would be cool to set a goal to you know, go to like 100 countries, which is approximately half the number of countries in the world. And I started working towards that and then realized that that wasn't a very difficult goal because you could choose, you know, to just go to the easy places. And so uh, I had the idea of like, why not go to go everywhere? And it wasn't a career project. It wasn't like, this is pre-social media. This is like, I didn't have a blog. It was just like, this is something I want to do for myself. And uh, I started writing about it at a certain point. And then it did transform into more of like, a, okay, there's a community here. There's a bit of a movement. Uh, other people are interested in this, but the, the genesis of the idea is very much just a personal, can I do this? You know, it's like, why do you climb the mountain? Because the mountain's there, you know? Like, I don't, I'm not a mountain climber, but people get that thing stuck in their head. And they're like, I have to try this. I have to see if I can do this, run the marathon or whatever. And for me, that was the, you know, the every country thing, because that's weird, right? It's weird. It's yeah. unusual. It's, it's a, and um, this is also like pre-nomad life, you know, like maybe some people are obviously living the nomad life, but before it was like a thing. And so um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought I have to try to do it. And I realized if I didn't try to do it, I'd be, I would, I would feel regretful about it later. And I think that's a very powerful motivation. It's been very powerful for me when I think about trying to make a big decision, whether it's that or something else, I ask myself, like, how am I going to feel if I don't try? And if the answer is I'm going to feel, I'm going to regret not trying, then there's your answer. You know, you need to go and do it or at least try. Yep. Um, it was like me walking from Chicago to LA. Right. Along Route yeah. 66. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I guess uh, I would imagine for yours, like in the probably the same for me, 
you didn't decide like tomorrow I'm going to walk from Chicago to LA, right? Like you thought about it like on a recurring mm -hmm. basis, like it stayed with you. I think that's a key point um, because we all have different ideas from time to time. And the next day you forget them or you wake up and you think, oh, that's a dumb idea. But it's the ideas that just kind of remain embedded, you know, that you're like, that's what, that's the thing that I, that I need to pay attention to. So all these yeah. uh, synchronicities, as you say, they're kind of, they're little like breadcrumbs, you know, that are leading you to this, this, this point. Um, yep. And I think a lot of people, th those will appear in everybody's life. You know, it's, you can think of it from a spiritual perspective, or you can just think of it as like, as you're like working towards something, you're going to naturally notice more things about that. So I think that if those things appear in everybody's life, but not everybody pays attention to them and not everybody follows them. And most people who are not weird, let's say the normal people, I don't know what you think of as the opposite of weird. That's one of my questions for you. But I think a lot of people, um, you know, will just write those things off and say, oh, that's just like one of those silly kind of ideas or whatever. And then later you realize, man, when I, I should have pursued that, that silly idea or whatever it was, maybe it wasn't, who knows what adjective to put on it, but I wish I had done that. Um, so you always feel better if you say yes or. To answer your question, what's the opposite of, no, of weird? Yeah, it's normal. It's normal, normal. okay. And yeah. Why, why be normal? Yeah, that's right. So uh, your blog turned into your first book. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Um, well, I always knew I wanted to write a book. I knew I wanted to write a book before I, I knew I wanted to write a blog. Um, and, you know, when I started to go down that path, I was like, well, how does one write a book? And nobody knows who I am. I feel fortunate that I've been able to have a lot of different experiences. Um, but you know, I don't know much about this other, this other world. Uh, so when I started the blog, you know, again, it was no, there's no commercial, you know, um, commercial support or wasn't selling anything. It was just like trying to put forward ideas. Um, but probably, I guess about six months in or so I was getting some attention for the, the quest, you know, to go to everywhere. And I wrote a couple of manifestos. One was called uh, brief guide to world domination. Uh, which we then kind of borrowed some of that that language for the World Domination Summit, uh, of which you have been a big part of in the past. And um, I guess it was maybe that, you know, I, I, that fall, you know, I started in April and that fall, I started trying to figure out how do I write a book? You know, what does that look like? And it just deconstructed the process the same way you would for anything. And, oh, well, I need an agent. How do I get an agent? That's hard. Okay, who do I know that has an agent? Um, what books have I read that I like? You know, I'll look at the back of the book and see the acknowledgments and they're going to be thanking their agent. So I'll, I'll write to that person, you know. Um, so it's just like knocking on a lot of doors and such. So anytime you have an idea, you have to follow through. Yeah. Most people, which most people don't. They just, yeah. eh, just I don't know if I want to do that. It's just an idea. So we yeah, met. Right. We met in Houston in 2010 when you were doing the mm. book tour. That's right. And then again in 2012 when you were doing your second book tour with mm -hmm. the $100, uh, what was that? $100 idea, $100? $100 startup, yeah. $100 startup. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, my idea didn't make, make it to your book. It would have been nice if, if it had. But mm -hmm. that gave me an opportunity to talk to you about it a little bit. And mm -hmm. you were kind enough to invite me to your World, World Domination Summit. And it was mm -hmm. an experience of a lifetime for me. Mm -hmm. Good. 
Good, good. Well, like you contributed a lot to it, so I'm glad, glad for that. So, um, how many books have you written? Uh, I've done seven books so far. Seven, yeah. So I just, books. I really like the process of like um, having a timeline of you know here's my idea, here's how I get my ideas down, and then you know publishing the books. Like I said, I always wanted to be an author. For me, the book was not. Uh, I think for a lot of authors in the nonfiction space, a book is a promotional item. You know, the book is like, this is my business card, it gives me access to something else. And, and that's fine for them. But for me, I actually like, I just really like books. I, when I was a kid, I was a big reader and books changed my life. And so um, I have just kind of kept going with that. And it's also fun to go out on those book tours and meet, you know, interesting, weird people um, all over the place. And I've really missed uh, not being able to do that for the past, you know, year and a half or so. And your latest book is Money Tree. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about? this is my first, uh, it's my first novel, my first fiction. Uh, so I'm still trying to teach, you know, through the process, but uh, the book is called The Money Tree, a story of finding the fortune in your own backyard. Uh, so I'm basically telling the story of a, a young guy who has a lot of debt and like so many people do, young people especially, and he's a hard worker, um, but he realizes no matter how hard he works, you know, it's going to be very difficult to like, get out of debt and get ahead and such, uh, even with a good job. Uh, and then he starts to almost lose his good job. And so he has to figure out what can I do for myself? And so he goes down this path of, uh, you know, learning how to buy and sell, you know, random items from, you know, yard sales or whatever and selling it on eBay. Uh, then he learns how to create a service business. He, he spends about half his time in the book in Ethiopia. Um, so there's, there's a bit more to it, but it's basically a story trying to, to help people uh, you know, who are in a difficult situation or want to make some change in their life. Okay, and it, it's a fiction, fiction as opposed to mm -hmm. most of your books that were nonfiction before. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Most of your books, I know you did the research before you wrote them. Mm -hmm. uh, what What would inspire you to go down a certain road? You know, like your podcast, Side mm -hmm. Hustle School. Where was I mean? That's I guess that's being a thread in your success throughout uh, doing something on the side mm -hmm. how, how is what's what's the key to such a phenomenal success of the podcast 1689 yeah coming up on 1700 episodes yeah. uh i guess the key is just to keep doing it you know like i mean that's it that's it it's like what how do you walk from chicago to la well <laughs> you could, we could we could talk about it for a long time right i'm sure you could get you could give lots of helpful advice but ultimately, for someone to walk from Chicago to LA, they need to like walk, you know, like one step in front of the other. That's how you do it. Exactly. So the same, you know, with the podcast, yeah, it's like there's lots of stuff we could talk about. But ultimately, I made a commitment to do it every day. Um, and so that helped. The consistency really helped. Um, for the first year, I said, you know, 365 episodes, you know, and then I just kept going after that. So now we are in year four, uh, four and a half. And um, I, I, for me, it's easier to do it every day than it would be to do it twice a week because I know it has to happen. If, it, mm -hmm. if it's twice a week, then it's like, I can lose it in my, I can do another stuff, you know, not really thinking about it, but because it's every day, it's like, it has to be, um, at least somewhat in my awareness every day. So do you do it at a certain time or is it just the time that, uh, is that a set schedule that you follow for doing that or? 
No, I mean, the publication schedule is set, but I work on it at different times and such. Um, and I do now work on it a couple of times a week for the whole week. I didn't do that for the first two and a half years. Um, so now I do some batch, you know, batch work on it. Um, and that definitely has helped me with other stuff because it was kind of taking up a lot, a lot more time uh, the first couple of years when I was actually recording it every, every single day. Um, but it's still kind of like there's still things to do for it just about every day. Great. Uh, what is your definition of success? Oh, man. My definition of success. Um, I try to always think about these questions because like, I know what I have answered before, you know, and and, and I'm, so I'm like, is that, is that the same answer as I, have I changed in some way? So what I used to always say is uh, success is like continuously improving your circumstances um, and you know, hopefully the circumstances of those around you. So you're like, you know, in all parts of your life, you're trying to do better and you're hopefully trying to um, make things better for other people. So I think that's still a pretty good definition. I'm just trying to think if anything has, if I would shift that a little bit, I guess I would say maybe success is uh, some sort of like self-acceptance as well and like, and, and being true to yourself. Um, I think that's, that's probably my most important value like being true to myself and um i feel like sometimes i'm not i'm not i'm like I, I try to be kind to people and lots of times i will let people down and not be kind but i also it's the same kind of thing with myself i'm not always kind to myself i tend to be hard on myself if i don't succeed um in a way that i that i that i hope so i'm still working on that well would you say you're successful because of or despite of being weird a hundred percent because of yeah no no question whatsoever would we be having this conversation if I, you know, was an accountant and like, and I actually tried to major in accounting, you know, for maybe two, two semesters, you know, mm -hmm. in college and it went very poorly for me. Um, I tried later to, to go down an academic path as well. Like I earned a master's degree in not in accounting, um, thought I was going to do a PhD. And, and fortunately I was rejected by every PhD program I applied to and uh, I'm so glad because I would have been a very mediocre academic and I could have probably made a living doing it and, you know, could have still had a good life, but I wouldn't have this life for sure. Um, and I wouldn't have had all these amazing experiences that I've had if I didn't follow that, that path of, of weirdness. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for it every day. Yep. You and me both. I started out uh, as, as, you know, being wanting to be an engineer, a chemical engineer. I majored oh. in chemistry and mathematics for two oh. years. And then uh, circumstances led me to work in a restaurant. And uh, I did that for 30 years before getting burned out on that. Oh. Uh -huh. I decided to go on my own. Our yeah. uh, mutual mentor, so to speak, uh, Barbara, Barbara Winter, I was talking oh, yeah, to she's her. Good. Yeah, I was talking to her a few days ago, and uh, I asked her more or less the same questions. And mm -hmm. she mentioned that when she first started teaching her, um, making a living without a job from mm -hmm. 30 years ago, uh, she would ask people that came to raise hands if they were there without telling anybody where they were going. Uh -huh. And she said almost every hand in the room would go up. Yeah, that's great. Things haven't changed much in 30 years, have they? 
Well, I don't know about that. On the last point, I'm not sure. I do think some things have changed recently. Um, well, I think actually have changed, you know, in the past decade, but then the pandemic has also created this great shift. And, you know, I think workers have a lot more power than they did before. I just read the story of all these people that are working two full-time jobs remotely, um, but because they're working remotely, you know, they're not, they're not physically present in an office, neither job knows about the other one. So they have to like juggle all these meetings, you know, and they have like two laptops open. There's all these like tricks that they're doing and such. It's really funny. Um, and so I do think there's like a balance of power that has shifted a bit and employers have to recognize, employers are not at all surprised when people have a side hustle or something you know, else that they're doing, you know, and some companies it can still be a problem, but I would say it's so much more common, you know, than it used to be, which is good. You know, I, I wonder if she would, if she would have the same response in her workshop, you know, today. Um, I think that is something that is probably like there are more opportunities now than there were 20 or 30 years ago. And so I'm glad for that. True, true. And, and you're right. Uh, being an entrepreneur is getting to be a cool thing now. Right, right, right. Whereas before, an entrepreneur was somebody who couldn't find a job or hold a yeah, job. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I'm unemployed. If you're un an entrepreneur, it means you're unemployed, basically. Yeah. You know? Which which I've always said, I'm like, I've always said I'm unemployable. You know, like I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any desire to be employed. I remember when I met you in 2010, you had talked about somebody who decided to go a different route and place an mm -hmm. ad to hire a boss. Do you recall that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, vaguely. I, a, I think her name was Susan um, from Texas, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, but she, I, I'll probably get the details of the story wrong, but she had been, been in a number of leadership roles and was looking to change jobs and basically made a post that says, you know, I'm looking to, to hire a boss, basically. Like, in other words, I want to come work for your company, but here's what I need for myself. And here's, you know, more importantly for you, what I bring to the, to the table. And here's why I think, you know, the, a forward-looking company would want me, you know, to be on, on their team. And I think she received a number of, um, you know, a number of good offers uh, out of that, that process. So I think now whether people are making a post about hiring a boss or not, I think the, the tables have turned a bit. Uh, at least in a lot of industries, um, is what we're seeing now. Yep, and I had always looked at employment as a contract, and mm. contract contract is always between two parties, and either right. party can terminate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Either, you know, both parties have the rights to uh, come up with terms and uh, agreement on, on terms. Mm. Yeah, but most most companies are not really like. When you when you get the employment contract, they're not expecting you to say, "Okay, thank you for the thank you for like the twenty seven clauses that you have added here. Here's uh you know fifteen from me as well. Let's put these together." You know, most companies are not really you know um, looking kindly on that. That is very true, and <laughs> that's that's why for a long period of time I used to joke around at job interviews, ask me where I haven't worked. It'd be a shorter mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, okay, uh, what would you say to someone who is not sure if mm. following following the interview now is the right thing to do? What would you say to them? I don't think I'd give them any advice because you know if you if you are thinking about following your own path, whatever that is. Uh, if you're watching this conversation, if you're listening to it, you are already 
ahead of so many people, I think. I, I, you're already like self-identifying as somebody who wants this because normal people, to use your phrase, are gonna listen to like one minute of this conversation or any other conversation about this and then turn it off because they're like, oh, this is not for me. I'm not interested in it. So if you've actually made it this far in the interview, you're like you are already, I know, you are already thinking of, you've got ideas, you've got this stirring in your, in your, you know, your soul, your heart, your mind, whatever. You are dissatisfied with the way your peers, you know, your colleagues, your parents, you know, did things or do things. So you already know, like, there's something different for me. I would just say, you know, listen to that and try different things. And don't worry if something doesn't work. And, you know, you can always walk away from something. You can always walk away from a job. You can always, like, you always ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen if it doesn't work out? And usually the answer is not that bad. And often the worst thing doesn't happen. Usually it's something totally different or it could be an amazing thing that happens. So I have no advice for that person except to say that you're not alone and, and good for you. We're being admonished not to quit on whatever we start. Mm. And I think mm. as entrepreneurs, we quit mm -hmm. more often than we don't. Yeah, nothing wrong with quitting. Yep. I mean, if you're doing something that's the wrong thing, why would you keep doing it forever? You know, you're. I think most most successful people in life, and you can define success however you want, like we were just talking. But I think most successful people in life, um, you know, have walked away from a lot of different things. So, nothing wrong with that. Now you do you do public speaking mm -hmm. from time to time outside of. Uh, your normal thing. Uh, what, what led to that? And did you have to go through training or join certain organization or? Nope, I don't think I've ever joined an organization of any kind. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my, I'm not really a joiner, you know. Um, like have I ever joined any organization? Maybe, um, but not, no, I can't think of any. Uh, no, it just came about because of the, the writing and when I started doing different meetups in different places uh, people would you know at first there wouldn't be as many people that would come but then after a while there's a lot of people coming so you you have to you know gather the group somehow and like share some common message and so I just practiced that a lot um, I'm definitely not a professional speaker um, but I, I think the most important thing with speaking is to to believe in something like to be passionate about something and then seek to communicate that um, as opposed to like really trying to become a great speaker and then figure out what am I going to talk about? You know, I think message, message and passion are always the most important things in any, any, any talk. Okay. Um, you have done a lot of small things that you use to help people and build community, you know, like your recent, uh, uh, $29 thing that you did, uh, from idea to income in 21 days. How do you come up with those ideas? Yeah, well, ideas are not the problem. You know, ideas are like, I have a lot of ideas. I, don't, I mean, I'm often just thinking, be cool to do this. You know, that, that little course you mentioned, it's, it's delivered entirely through your phone, like your text messaging. And so I mm -hmm. thought that was interesting. I was like, that's a cool, you know, medium. Some people might really like that. Others will not like it. And that, that's okay. That's a smart thing to look at the polarizing. Uh, situation. I mean, there's always, there's a lot of, there's a lot more things I want to do than, than I'm able to do. So I think the bigger thing is like how, once you have ideas, how do you decide between them? And I'm still trying to figure that out because I, I take on too many, too many of them. 
Um, but that's that's just kind of how I'm wired. So I don't want to only do one thing. I think that would be boring, you know, for me. Even if I could be more successful doing that one thing, whatever it is, I think I I would, you know, regret not trying the the phone thing or the whatever, you know, kind of thing. Uh, what's Same. what's up with World World Domination Summit? Got canceled last year. Got yep. postponed this year. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, no, same. And definitely good to see you as well. And I'm, I'm really glad about the new new show. I look forward to listening to it. Um, World Domination Summit will return um, in summer of 2020. We're calling it WDSX because it was like, is it like the Tokyo Olympics where we're like, we just you know have the two years, but then now it's it's stretched into another year. So I just decided I'm never going to use the date for anything ever again. Um, but WDS will return uh, next summer, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. And that's the that's the tenth uh, event, correct? That will be the tenth year. Yeah, wow. tenth year in twelve, the tenth time in twelve years. It would have been ten years in a row, but for COVID. Uh, so yeah, number ten. No, that's that's the idea behind the X is number ten. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, learn from you, uh, hire you as a speaker, uh, how would they go about it? Yeah, they can just come to my website. It's chrisgillibeau.com. So the last name is G-U-I-L-L-E-B-E-A-U, or I'm Chris Gillibeau on most social. Okay, and I'll put that on the, uh, on the podcast so people can find you. Awesome, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your wisdom. And uh, <laughs> it's it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Awesome, man. Keep and keep being awesome. weird. <laughs> Me too. Thank you, Chris. We'll talk again. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Embrace Your Inner Weirdo podcast, where we debunk the myth that weirdo is a four-letter word. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Share it with a friend and leave a tip if you like the show.